and welcome to the Stockouts. This is your show at Freightways for all things related to the CPG industry. Those are consumer packaged goods, which make up about one-fifth of all uh, domestic uh, freight transportation. And today, um, what I'm going to be talking about, um, I should intro myself, I'm Mike Boundis, the head of Intermodal Solutions here, work primarily on the data side, but there's always opportunity to get on TV and, and talk about uh, the freight news. And today, what I'm going to be talking about is Conagra's results, um, which reported last week. I think there were a lot of just really good uh, trends that were um, relevant for uh, relevant really across the CPG space. So I'll talk about those. I'll talk about how their results relate to what we're seeing in the FreightWay uh, data product, which is called Sonar. And I'll also talk about uh, Walmart uh, and some of its uh, supply chain initiatives, some interesting things there that they touched on. And then I'll also give just a little bit of a freight market update uh, based on what we're seeing in our uh, data product. Uh, but before uh, I do that, I um, just want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to uh, sign up for the Stockout newsletter. If you're not already signed up, uh, please go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout, um, or just go to freightwaves.com if that's too difficult and uh, go up to newsletters. And the Stockout is the first one there under uh, supply chains. You could uh, sign up for newsletters until your heart's uh, content. Uh, try to send mine out on uh, Wednesday um, in the middle of the day and uh, really have discretion on to talk about whatever is interesting. And sometimes that's uh, what the retailers are doing and what that means for CPG companies. Sometimes that's deep into the CPG companies, supply chain, some of the recent um, uh, issues have talked about uh, palm oil. Some have talked about some of the, 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 you know, what Walmart's doing, what Target's doing. Some have talked about what some of the, the CPG companies are, are reporting. Uh, earnings. So those those are the type of things that um, you know I'll be talking about. Uh, but with that, I want to get into the first uh, topic today is that CPG cost pressure may be easing. Um, and uh, you know, went through the Conagra results uh, last week after they reported earnings. You know, don't look at that as closely as a stock analyst would. And this is is not going to be a a stock analyst uh, you know report. But um, I thought there were some pretty encouraging you know trends in there in, in Conagra's results and. One of the main things has to do with uh, costs. Um, you have a sonar chart comparing the CPI, the PPI, which I think um, this is is also a pretty good illustration of what's happened in the CPG industry, at least directionally, where you see the prices to consumers on shelves are in white and the prices that uh, companies pay are in green. And you see there's, during this whole period from about uh, mid-2020 through uh, just uh, you know really late 2022, let's call it that two, two and a half year period, the prices that companies paid for their costs rose at a faster pace than the retail prices. So there really was quite a bit of margin contraction, uh, which takes place though in the CPG industry, the costs adjust faster than they can pass those uh, uh, costs on through the retail channel. They have contracts with the, with the retailers and it takes uh, in a period of quarters for those to really get passed through. I think we're now starting to turn the corner where the CPG companies are passing, you know, more of those those prices on, and we're while we're seeing the uh, pr producer prices start to come down because they're seeing things like traded uh, commodity costs uh, coming down, um, et cetera. So, what Kyagra was talking about specifically is they said that sort of for their full fiscal year, and they're in their their, their fiscal fourth quarter now, um, expecting about ten percent increase in cost. This most recent quarter, which is their third quarter. It uh, was sandpaper down to 8%. And then they said for the fourth quarter, the implication is that they're going to see something like a 5.5% um, year-over-year increase in their costs. And so, 
you do get, some of that is 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 improving comparables uh, versus last year, but also um, you do see a slowing in the rate of uh, costs uh, rising. A lot of that's uh, you know commodity costs, uh, but they also gave a little bit of a of a breakdown uh, to the extent they could. They said that um, overall in their fiscal third quarter costs increased eight percent, and you know two thirds of their their costs are um, you know ingredients materials. Those increased 10%. They said labor costs up sort of mid to high single digits. And then the transportation and warehousing component of that was down, um, you know, is at least come down the most in terms of, of increases sort of, you know, in, the, in sort of the low single digit uh, range. Would expect to see more uh, pricing pressure uh, there. Have a chart on that to sort of compare those notes to, to what we have in, in, in FreightWave Sonar. And yeah, pretty uh, consistent directionally, and and what's really kind of interesting here, if you see if you can see the the, the chart, the white line is dry van contract rates, which most of the big CPGs they're going to be right in that contract market. They need the capacity associated with with the with contract rates. Um, the green line is uh, reefer contract rates, and it is interesting. We sort of compare where we were to um, a year ago that the dry van rates are higher by about um, the dry van rates are lower. Uh, by about 13.5%, excluding fuel. Both of those lines exclude fuel. Reefer actually higher uh, by about 15% year over year. So, you know, that's a little bit interesting. Um, it did seem like the reefer uh, rates took longer to uh, react to the initial tightness in the transportation markets. Um, and what's also interesting about this chart and, and this data is that the drive-in contract rates that we see um, excluding fuel surcharges uh, not only are they above the, um, the the spot rates by by quite a large large margin, they're actually a ten cents above the reefer rates at two fifty one, reefer at two forty one. So that's not typical. If you go back to the left part of that chart, you see what's more uh, normal, and that is reefer higher than uh, band rates, and that makes sense. The equipment is is um, you know more expensive. It's more concentrated industry. There's higher operating costs. So you would expect all things being equal reefer rates to be be higher than than van contract rates if you think about 2019 as being sort of the last you know quote unquote normal year um and and those lines crossed maybe uh you know that that sort of indicates that the van contract rates have further to fall than 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 reefer contract rates it also sort of implies that uh conagra with its um sort of mid single digit increases using a combination of uh, van and and reefer maybe the the decline in van rates is offsetting some some increases in 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 reefer rates but with um you know tender rejections being extremely low across both of those things would expect those rates to 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 come down they also talked about warehousing prices coming down have a chart we can show the logistics managers uh you know index for for warehousing prices and this has been a really a volatile uh, market, uh, you know, first it seemed like there was uh, warehousing was in such tight supply, particularly on the West Coast, that you know you, you couldn't find any at a, at a reasonable price. Now it seems to be going the other way. Um, there's a lot of projects underway uh, to build warehouses. Uh, sort of remains to be seen whether all of those get built or whether some of them, some of those plans are are scrapped. But um, in any event, there's been a big push at least from some of the general merchandise, uh, you know, retailers to rein in their um, their inventory levels. And that is having a big impact on, uh, you know, warehousing uh, prices. Uh, another takeaway from uh, Conagra's results is that the service levels are improving. Now, from the CPG company, when you're talking about service levels, you're talking about getting those products, you know, to the stores, having them on time and in full. 
And they said that their uh, service levels are uh, above 90, 90%. They say there's about 93%, which is really um, an improvement versus what um, most CPG companies have seen over the past couple of years. It does seem to me like the supply chain constraints that a lot of the CPG companies have been plagued with the last couple of years are starting to become alleviated. Um, we had heard things like uh, General Mills saying the trucks weren't you know, showing up on time and Kraft Hans saying, you know, any given day, we don't have some ingredient, we don't have some piece of packaging. Hearing less of those things, and it's actually causing me to have, to have to look a little bit harder for things to write about uh, when uh, d- talking about you know, drafting up the, the stock out newsletter that there's just fewer um, you know, issues. I mean, last year, as bad as the baby formula shortage was, at least it gave me stuff to to, to write about and talk about on uh, the stock out. Um, a lot of the CPG companies are talking about how they've uh, you know actually increased their inventory levels as much as we've heard about inventory levels being bloated uh, over the past uh, you know year or so. Really, that pertained uh, primarily to general merchandise inventory levels uh, when it comes to food and consumables. Those never really got uh, to be elevated. If anything, those would have been too low. So um, a lot of the big big box retailers, uh, uh, they were trying to both reduce general merchandise inventories and and also increase a lot of the CPG and consumable inventories at the same time. Some of those consumable inventories are getting much closer to uh, targeted levels. Uh, third takeaway I have from, from Conagra's results, and I think pertains to the um, industry as a whole, is that elasticities remain no worse than historical levels. This is important for CPG. Uh, Conagra has talked about their elasticity of 0.52. So what that means is for every 100 uh, basis points of increased price, they see a 52 basis point uh, decrease in uh, volume. So what that translates for them, they took up price 15%. They saw an 8% drop in volume. They did attribute about 1% of that to some lingering supply chain issues uh, for canned food. They thought that you know they didn't have enough, you know, didn't have the right people that were trained uh, sufficiently. So had some quality and, and rework uh, there. But um, you know, they say that's no, absolutely no worse than uh what the what you would typically see. I think a lot of the other um you know CPGs in a similar situation where uh, their elasticities they say well were, were either you know muted was a term that we've heard a lot um or uh, limited uh elasticities or at least no worse than historical averages. I mean, some of the CPGs that have increased price 10 to 15% have only seen their volume decline, let's say two, three, 4%. Um, so that's actually pretty, pretty low. It does suggest to me that consumers, um, you are not cutting back tremendously on, uh, CPG items. Um, you know, for all that we hear about, uh, you know, trading down to, um, you know, store brands, sort of those private label brands or more people doing, you know, shopping at uh, you know Walmart that are even a little bit higher income. We've heard a lot about uh, that from some of the big box uh, you know retailers. It seems like the the thing that's really has has given has been um, you know higher credit card balances and just consumers saving less money. Where you've seen the um, the savings rate drop down into the low uh, single digits. Uh, another takeaway here is companies pruning low margin volume um, in terms of SKUs. You heard that a lot from CPG companies where. You know, Nestle cutting some of these these uh, lower velocity SKUs. Smucker heard, heard something similar. I mean, some of the big CPG companies have a big advantage there because they sort of feel that if they can cut certain SKUs that are not performing as well, that their customers will naturally gravitate to another one of their brands that is very similar. Uh, so we're seeing that uh, from Conagra as well. Um, also, one of the interesting things is uh, there was 
a question on the analyst call about the rolling off of the enhanced SNAP benefits. So that's something I've written about in the stock out, which um, you know looks like it's pretty real uh, money when you think about how much how many people are on those SNAP programs, how much uh, is is coming off. Um, you know, with the, those those um, you know states, I guess eighteen uh, states actually rolled off previously. Thirty two states just rolled off in the last you know month or so, and. Conagra's perspective is that it really didn't have a material impact when those first 18 states got rid of their enhanced uh, SNAP benefits. And so their expectation, at least for now, is that the remaining states won't have a big impact you know, either when those uh, enhanced uh, SNAP benefits uh, go away. They also sort of cite that a lot of their brands are kind of those mid-priced brands are a little bit more affordable. You think of Conagra having things like Hunt's Ketchup, which um, you know is, is somewhat below the the, the most premium uh, in that category. So uh, those are kind of the, the main takeaways for um, you know, Conagra, what it means for the CPG industry. I think on balance, uh, this is positive for the CPG industry. I think they're going to get their their, their margins uh, you know, back uh, much closer to the, where they were um, before the pandemic. They've gone through a period of uh, having to deal with a lot of uh, unusual costs, including for things like you know contract manufacturing. I think um, some of the lower volume is going to allow some of the big CPG companies to rein in some of those costs. Uh, I'll move on to topic number two here, which is uh, Walmart seeks a greater supply chain uh, integration across its uh, network. Uh, you know, JP Hampstead, our colleague um, on the editorial side, um, he works in, with strategy um, uh, at the company. You know, he's, he wrote this article up. We have it on the on the on the uh, screen there. Walmart wants to be, beat Amazon at, at its own game. So it is kind of uh, trying to out Amazon, Amazon, the way that um, JP uh, describes that they had a big analyst meeting last week. And some of the, the main takeaways, I asked him if anything surprised him. And he said one of the big phrases that was used was consolidate earlier and deconsolidate later in the supply chain train. So drive density um, in the transportation network in the first, middle, and last a mile. So it seems like the company's thinking just a little bit more like a logistics provider, that's always been sort of their special sauce is getting the logistics um, to be very efficient and uh, and driving more density there. To hear uh, Walmart describe it is is really they've um, gone in phases uh, throughout their uh, you know sort of growth over the years and really sort of initially they were a big retailer in um, you know sort of general merchandise and uh, consumables that do not need to be refrigerated. So they sort of built out that ambient network. From there, moved to things like um, you know groceries and perishable, and then more later on, uh, did uh, you know more uh, e-commerce. They seem pretty bullish on e-commerce, which you can sort of see why in the fourth quarter, their e-commerce grew seventeen uh, percent um, year over year. And so that is um, you know interesting for a few re- reasons. I mean, one of which is that you know Amazon is sort of always sort of punching below its weight class in terms of CPG, but I don't know that Walmart. Is uh, going to have that that problem, and so they could, uh, you know, lead to just more e-commerce, um, you know, of uh, of CPG, which then it gets into the topic of well, having targeted advertising online, you know, gets to be a much uh, a much bigger issue. So, thought that was interesting. I'd, I'd encourage you to go read uh, the article. They also sort of reiterated the sales, um, you know, guidance that they had already previously talked about. They say sort of U.S. Uh, same sort of sales growth to two to two and a half percent this year, which is a, a, a slowing and sort of overall two and two and a half percent growth, uh, sort of slowing from six six point six percent growth over the past couple of years, but they still reiterated that longer term, four uh, percent annual growth, uh, you know, guidance, um, you know, overall 
in uh, the U.S. as they expand uh, stores and believe that they're planning to take um, you know market share in things like uh, grocery. They also talked a lot about automation. Uh, by 2026, they plan to have 65% of their stores be served by automation with 55% of their fulfillment centers uh, moving volume through automated uh, facilities. And they say that that's going to improve their unit cost averages by about uh, 20%. So um, it does seem like um, this really adding a lot more uh, sophistication. It also seems like it's a hedge against um, you know the labor issues. And one of the things that's surprising about using all that automation is that uh, they are doing more in refrigerated and perishable items, uh, taking share in that grocery segment. And you don't tend to think of robots as uh, moving as many of those uh, you know items because of all the uh, service and handling requirements, the potential for um, uh, perishable um, perishables that go bad. Um, and, and, and so there does have to be you know a higher degree of sophistication to take that and um, you know use that for uh, in a perishable network. They also talked a lot about just integrating the various, uh, you know, segments, the, the ambient network, the perishables and the e-commerce, sort of not having those as siloed, putting those all together to drive density in their network. So a lot of interesting things there on, um, you know, Walmart's uh, supply chain. Um, with that, uh, going to the final topic today, which is a little bit of a freight market uh, update. There's always just a huge number of uh, charts that I could go through in freight waves. I have to hit a few of the highlights. I'm going to bring up a uh, van contract rates and um, as those compare to the spot rates. And so van contract rates are, are in white. I showed that earlier on a different chart, but uh, here I wanted to show it in uh, comparison to spot rates, which are in orange. And if you can't see the screen, um, it's a uh, van contract rates are $2.51 excluding fuel. Uh, spot rates are paltry uh, $1.78 when there's a, you take an algorithm that removes a fuel. So you do have a spread there of, uh, let's call it 73 cents. If I can do the math in my head. Um, so re really spot rates are something that tends to drag down the contract rate market. Expect those contract rates to fall. You might've expected those contract rates to fall a little bit faster than they have. That white line is the one that applies more to the CPG industry because a lot of these companies, um, you know, big, big companies use, using contracts. The, the orange line is a little bit of an indicator of where those rates are headed though. And um, directionally, seems lower, but there's been some stability there where the, the contract rates are really sort of falling at kind of a slow uh, you know, rate, even if they are down um, you know, double digits year over year, there's been, been some stability there right at that $2.50 uh, range. I think um, you know, some of the shippers realize that this is the best, uh, you know, easiest uh, uh, situation to source capacity that they're ever going to see. And uh, they don't want to be short on capacity by being too aggressive on contract rates now, if they're sort of below the market um, in terms of having their con where their contract rates are, they're going to be, their freight is going to be the first rate to the first um, uh, volume to be rejected when the the, the market turns. So um, we'll continue to watch uh, that chart in uh, freight waves. I uh, want to move on to the next one, which is the intermodal uh, contract rate uh, chart, if we could bring uh, that up uh, and, and there it is. And so you have uh, let's say uh, five lines on that chart, each representing a year. So this year, 2023 is the white line. And you see that that is down um, about 15% uh, from where it was a year ago. And so basically from 2019, uh, starting with a weak year into to, to 20, uh, this is a purple line, sort of the, the rates rose throughout the year. 
And then I had those double digit increases as a lot of those contract rates repriced in the first part of the year, double digit rate increases from 20 to 21. And then again, from 21 to 22. Now they are going back the other way. Those have fallen a little bit more dramatically here in the last quarter than you've seen um, from the truckload rates. And really part of the reason for that is that intermodal largely on annual contracts, whereas truckload, there are more quarterly adjustments, sort of mini bids, those type of things. Doesn't that does not happen as much with intermodal? And so this is the time of year where the contract rates roll over. You see the big drop, um, you're having a big impact on those rates. And it's kind of interesting that when you exclude fuel surcharges, we're now below uh, 2021 levels, at least where we were in, uh, in, in late March. What's also interesting is we have a data series in Sonar that compares intermodal contract rates to drive-in contract rates. And we try to exclude all other variables. And so what we do is we only look at the transactions that were processed in the same week across modes that for the same uh, five-digit origin and destination pairs. And we um, include fuel surcharges for both modes because that's a big part of the intermodal savings. And what that shows currently is that intermodal is saving shippers less than 10% uh, versus uh, dry van, which for most companies that are concerned about those on-time uh, delivery uh, rates that I was talking about earlier, you want to avoid the on-time and full fees, all of those things, that less than 10% spread is probably not going to entice a lot of big shippers to use intermodal. Uh, if anything, the shippers have placed, I think, a bigger uh, premium on high service levels is definitely a trend that we've seen um, you know, throughout the pandemic, I think is, is really acute right now um, with uh, you know, just sort of coming off of how difficult supply chains have, have, have been. So um, would expect intermodal volume to be uh, depressed and um, it's been down uh, double digits the last, uh, the last few weeks. I want to bring up one final uh, sonar chart, which is uh, pertains to the ocean uh, segment. And so, uh, you know, two lines on that chart, the, the white line is custom, uh, you know, maritime imports or so in maritime imports, but, uh, shipments passing through, uh, you know, us customs. And you see how that's been, uh, down, although it has had a little bit of a bounce coming off of, you know, Chinese, uh, new year. So it's, it's, it's up month over month, still way down uh, year over year. And then the other line to look at is this green line, which is the inbound tender um, you know, index on the ocean. And so it's an early look at where, um, you know, ocean tenders, um, you know, are, where, where ocean volume is being booked at the point of origin. So that's largely uh, China, but it also includes a lot of volume in Vietnam, Southeast Asia, really any place that where there's a lot of uh, goods are being, um, you know, sent to be imported into the U.S., it really fell off a cliff starting in uh, May. That's when uh, my colleague, um, Henry Byers, head of ocean intelligence, wrote his uh, controversial um, but prescient article, um, the ocean volume is falling off a cliff. And um, you, know, you can see how that uh, green line has led the white line. So the ocean uh, ship, uh, booking shipments has done a really nice job of forecasting where um, you know, imports are are going, and what it showed also. I mean, sort of in early February, you saw it start to, to to rise, which presage presage the white line of of imports, you know, rising. You know, similarly, um, you know, month over month, what it's showing now is kind of a flattening out to to slightly down in uh, March and and into April, and so uh, wouldn't expect uh, another step up in import volume based on what we're seeing in our ocean uh, tender. 
um, you know, index. Also, uh, just want to call out an article that was just uh, posted on FreightWaves.com earlier today that Greg Miller wrote. He wrote an article, um, LA Long Beach Outlook Darkens as labor unrest briefly shutters a port. Um, this was, uh, you know, interesting that this was actually uh, shut down on uh, on Friday, kind of an, an extraordinary uh, set of circumstances. This would have been much more of uh, a politically uh, you know, treacherous issue if this had happened while there were a hundred uh, or so container ships off of the coast. It, it seems like the, the big drop in, in imports maybe gave um, labor an opportunity to do this. But um, you know, I, I do think a lot of shippers have really made a big push to diversify which uh, ports of entry they are calling on. So they are moving more to um, you know, the East Coast and more to the Gulf Coast. Uh, you know, what also plays into that is uh, the, the desire to lower overall all-in freight costs, which those all-water routes closer to the Eastern consumption centers, it is a lower cost per mile um, on the water than it is on the surface, with inventory levels still high for a lot of general merchandise, uh, you know, furniture, apparel, those type of things, uh, much less of a premium to do uh, the fast routes, which would be what are called the land bridge. You move it into the ports of Valley, Long Beach, put it on an intermodal car or truck to the, the consumption centers. So um, I, I recommend uh, going in and, and reading uh, Greg Miller's article there. And uh, with that, that's really what I wanted to go over uh, today. If anyone wants to reach out to me, you can do that at mbowdendistal at uh, freightwaves.com.